0: Here's the 0-2 pitch. Got him swinging! Shawaran pumping his fist and showing the emotion!
1: Galgin kicks and deals, and it's a line drive to short. Leaping grab by Kevin Smith!
0: Wow. Here's the 1-2. That one is hit well, deep to center. Backing up his wave, near the warning track, at the wall. He makes the grab! Swung on and missed! He got him! And the Terps win! The Illini 27 winning streak comes to a close. And the Terps move on to the next round. The 2-2, curveball, strike three! The Terps have done it again! This time it's on the West Coast! The number one team in the tournament goes down as the Terps have ditched the gloves and they're dogpiling on the mound. Good evening and welcome to the 13th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisberg and Matt Present here to take you through it all. We'll be joined later by sophomore shortstop Kevin Smith. But to start off, as usual, we'll take a look back at the week and weekend that was, and later on in the podcast, we'll take a look forward to midweek matchups with VCU coming up, as well as a series against High Point this weekend. But to start things off, regretfully, we weren't able to go to Iowa due to our budget, and for some other reasons as well. But the Terps, they dropped two out of three to the Hawkeyes. Second time in two seasons now in the Big Ten that the Hawkeyes have taken the series for the season over the Terps. And there were some things that that we noticed this season, despite not physically being there. Took a look at the numbers, followed the game as it was on Twitter and with the rest of the baseball team. And we came away with some conclusions of our own. So we'll start and go through from Friday to Sunday. And Matt, first thing you noticed right off the bat.
1: First thing I noticed Friday was Mike Schwarren didn't have his best stuff. And there have been some starts lately where I think he he struggled, he's battled through it. But this Friday I think was a little more than a struggle. He gave up some
0: big two-out hits, and ultimately Iowa blow the, blew this game open. Well, they were certainly very opportunistic in the beginning of the game, taking advantage of some pitches that Schwarren left over the plate. Gave up an early home run to, to Joel Booker, and that really kind of open things up, a full run inning for them in the in the bottom of the second. But one thing that was encouraging to me about Shawarn is in the past couple starts, his walk-to-strikeout ratio has been a bit off. He had more walks than strikeouts in his start two weeks ago, and then last week he had an equal number of each. But this week against Iowa, we finally saw that strikeout number creep back up to where it normally is for him, 8Ks against the Hawkeyes to just one walk. So kind of a bit of a return to normalcy for a guy like Shawarn who... We've, and we, we say this every week. We say this every week that his stuff hasn't been as sharp this season. But if you look at the numbers and you just kind of take away from the fact that he's Mike Shawarn, they're good numbers for pretty much any other collegiate pitcher. He's pitching, you know, he's giving the team a chance to win in more cases than not. It's just that with Shawarn, we've come to expect that he not only gives his team a chance to win, but he basically wins the game and puts it away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, we... We've come to expect a very high level from him, and you know where he's pitching right now—a a eight two ERA, not bad. Uh, but again, we're comparing it to our expectations of Mike Schorn. and you know, thankfully, we have two other pitchers on the staff that are pitching just unbelievably well right now. In Taylor Bloom and Brian Schaefer, Schaefer with his second straight shutout on Sunday. Uh, now has his ERA down to 2.39. Bloom has his ERA at 1.84. So I think if you combine those numbers between Bloom, Schaefer, and Shawran, the combined numbers are better than we expected, but Shawran's a little higher than we expected.
0: Absolutely, and I think, you know, overall, you'd take that. You'd take these two sophomore arms who you're going to have not only this year, but next year, too, really coming on and showing some absolute brilliance over the past three weeks. You mentioned Brian Schaefer, Back-to-back complete games for him, both of them, you know, the Maddox in under 100 pitches. And he really shined on Sunday and last Sunday against Fullerton. And Taylor Bloom has been phenomenal over his past four starts. Sure, this last one against Iowa didn't, you know, go the complete game. But he's had three straight starts of over 110 pitches and over seven innings. He keeps going every single week. And he's really showing some fantastic stuff, especially with that changeup.
1: And you mentioned the Mike Sworen walk-to-strikeout numbers. The walk to strikeouts for the other two guys, Brian Schaefer, five walks to 26 strikeouts this year, and Taylor Bloom, four walks to 32 strikeouts. And that's just been at the heart of their success this year, the fact that they work so much of the time with no runners on base.
0: Well, I think it also has to do with the type of pitchers that they are. With Schaefer and Bloom, they're guys that won't necessarily get as many strikeouts as you'd expect. Sure, Schaefer tied his career high with seven on Sunday, but he's been pitching, you know, I would say above average over the past few weeks. But for both of them, they're more pitchers that will pitch to contact. Bloom will, you know, spot that fastball somewhere, try and fool you with the changeup. And, and Schaefer does, you know, somewhat of a similar thing, just throws a little bit harder than Bloom. But both of them, you know, they get a lot of ground ball outs. They'll make guys put it in play and, and right at their feelers. They do a good job of getting quick outs. And that's why, you know, especially for Schaefer, he's been able to throw two complete games in under 100 pitches. For Mike. It's the kind of thing where he's the pitcher, he's more of a strikeout pitcher. And I think part of his issue this season has been that, you know, the corners that he nibbles at and usually hits, he hasn't necessarily been hitting as much, and that forces him to throw, you know, a lot of, you know, that forces him to a lot of sequences that go into more deep ball counts, which forces him to, you know, open up his repertoire earlier on, allows hitters to get more of a beat on that off-speed stuff that he throws, and ultimately gets him in a little bit more trouble than he's used to. I think part of it's that. I think the other part is I think he's made some 0-2
1: mistakes or 1-2 mistakes where they're pitches that were accustomed to seeing him throw a nasty slider that starts on the outside corner and breaks down in the dirt, and he's left him up and over the plate. And I think a lot of the runs he's allowed this year have come with two outs or two strikes or you know in positions where he has the upper hand and he's
0: just made a mistake pitch. So we agree that the weekend rotation – Although Shawarn seems to be struggling a little bit, overall, really solid. Oh, wonderful. I mean, Has it's been a,
1: fantastic. The, I mean, the best part of this team right now. I mean, there was a stretch where the, the offense was really good, putting up five plus runs in, I think it was seven games in a row. I I, I could be wrong, but it was close to that. But now, Jake, you look at the offense this weekend and back to back one run games on Friday and Saturday.
0: Well, it's kind of been something that we, we're through 23, Keem, through 23 games now. And now eight times we've seen a one-run ball game from this offense, and I think it's a it's a, it's a factor of two different things. For one, you have a bunch of new guys in the lineup. We knew that the impact would be felt when this team lost Lamont Wade, Jose Quas, Kevin Martir, Brandon Lau, you know, and other players as well. We knew that the impact would be felt, and it was pretty much immediately. They turned things around, and. You know, Kevin Biondick now leads the team in average. And he's really turned things on with the bat just like he did towards the end of last season. Nick Dunt continues to be a revelation and his bat has gone a little bit cold over the past few games, but he's still batting three twenty six. Nick Cieri also batting over three hundred. He's at three oh eight. And then you've seen the infusions from freshmen like Marty Costas, who is now, you know, the consistent starter in left field. He's got three home runs on the season. He's batting two sixty six. You bring in Madison Nickens, a junior transfer. You get a guy back in Andrew Bechtold, who's also been cold as well. Kevin Smith moves to the top of the lineup. Anthony Papio, probably the one consistent part of the lineup, even though he kind of broke his start streak this past weekend. This lineup is one that's that's been fluid, is my point. And it's still kind of coming together. And yes, 23 games is over a third of the way through the season. But it's still, you know... It's the, they're still trying to find that consistency, and that's my main point. Is that as the consistency is still coming, so too will the run production.
1: Absolutely, and you know what that consistency is is being able to do your job and not just get hits, but be productive in the order and string hits together, put the ball in play to the right side, move guys along. Be a productive hitter, especially with two outs. Because that's where Iowa was so effective this year. And that's where really where you make your mark as a team and separate yourself is your ability to get those two-out RBIs. It's it's just such a momentum changer. It gives you such confidence. And as a pitcher, being able to strand guys with two outs certainly has the opposite effect.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think this team, you know, in the middle of the lineup, in their heart, with Duncieri, Costas, and beyondick has been incredibly strong and I think they've been they've been great with two outs as well for the most part. I think this team has struggled when they've and this team is this team has struggled when they faced, you know, above average pitching, which, you know, they're young. It's a young team that's going to struggle when they face the pitching. But you have to give them credit for the amount of big innings that they've had this season. They've had innings where they've scored eight runs, six runs, five runs, four runs, and they've done it multiple times. So you have to give them some credit for that.
1: Yeah, certainly, but at the same time, in order to win at a high level, you have to be able to hit against above-average pitching. And, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's certainly, no discounting that. There certainly have faced a lot of tough teams in the early going. There's certainly no warm-up period. Um, as you'll hear from Kevin Smith later, he talks about needing to win those midweek games and playing tough teams in the midweek. There are no off games, but that's to be expected. You want to play those tough games, and you have to rise to the occasion and it's just about putting a complete game together from all phases of this team.
0: Absolutely, and that's one of the most encouraging things that, that I saw when I was out with the team in California against Cal State Fullerton, who was a fantastic team, and they came in with a pitching staff that was fifth best in the nation. They had a team ERA of under two, and Maryland subsequently hung with them for the first game, ultimately losing on the walk-off, put up eight runs on Saturday, and then you know they got the one run across, and Brian Shaver was fantastic that Sunday. They got the one nothing win. That weekend, I thought was going to be the real catalyst for this team in them turning the corner. I thought they were gonna come out against Liberty in the midweek and then Iowa this weekend and kind of steamroll through and really pick up some momentum. Of course, they broke their midweek curse on Tuesday against Liberty, almost faltered in the ninth, and then Iowa offense kind of sputtered a little bit. And you wonder if that's maybe some some exhaustion from travel. The Turps have been doing a lot of travel lately, you know, coming back from California, then going to Iowa. But at the same time, as we've been saying, now talking in a circle a little bit, it's been an up-and-down year, offensively, defensively, and, you know, it reflects in the record. It certainly does,
1: and hopefully for the Terps, they can get back on track. A couple tough midweek games this week against VCU. We'll preview those later, as well as uh, a non-conference slate this weekend against High Point. Uh, But I think something that you started to touch on a little bit is the fact that in that game against Liberty, they came close to blowing it late. This weekend on Saturday, they had a, a lead when Taylor Bloom left the game. and Let's be frank, Jake, this bullpen has really struggled at times this year.
0: Well, I think something that a lot of people overlooked in this offseason. We knew that the departures of the main offensive guys and Wade, Martyr, Quas, Lau, you know, we could list them all we want. But I think a lot of people underestimated how much the departure of the key guys in the bullpen would impact this Turbs team first off you lost Kevin Mooney, your all-time saves leader, one of the best relievers in Maryland history. You lose Alex Robinson. Sure, he never had, you know, the dominant control that, you know, Terps fans would have liked him to, but he still threw 97 from the left side. He was still, you know, a solid reliever out of the bullpen. Yeah, you know, 1.63 ERA last year. Exactly. So. I mean, he struggled at times, but through the first half of the season last year, he hadn't allowed an earned run. You lose a guy like Zach Morris, another key lefty out of that pen, someone with a ton of experience, who's now pitching for the Phillies. And, you know, the list goes on and on in terms of the Libras. Bobby Roos, another guy who came out of that bullpen that had a lot of experience. Jake Drozner showed flashes of brilliance. He's now with the Brewers. Actually got called up last week to pitch in a spring training game. Didn't get into the game, but he's been having a fantastic spring for Milwaukee, and he's another lefty arm that they lost. So the bullpen, like the lineup and like a lot of this team, is young. And much like hitters have to adjust to above-average pitching, pitchers have to adjust to above-average hitters on the other side. Yeah, certainly. And, I mean, you you have a guy like
1: Rob Galligan and you have a guy like Ryan Sommer, and a lot is going to be asked of them. And they've pitched a lot of times this year and at other times have have given up critical runs. But it's going to be on those guys to set the tone for the rest of this bullpen and really pull the team ERA back down. Right now, the team ERA is at 464 that's about 1.3
0: points higher than where this team finished a year ago. And I think you're right. It starts with the bullpen. When you have one pitcher in the bullpen with an ERA below 4, that's a problem. That's a problem. Taylor Styles who's been, you know, kind of the who's kind of gone into this midweek role now has an ERA of 7.23, you know, and then from down the line there, your other two guys that you've thrown out of the midweek starting roles, Cameron Ank and John Murphy, an ERA of over 8 and over 10 respectively. You know, and with the rest of the bullpen, you mentioned Galligan, you mentioned Selmer. I think those are the two key guys that really need to get things going. and it's been a bit surprising to see them struggle at the times that they have. Again, they've shown they've shown their true colors when they've pitched as well as they have. Galligan is, you know, gone in longer relief outings like he did against Fullerton. He had three strong innings of relief against the Titans and then you know, the one pitch in the top of the 10th inning, you know, didn't find the right spot, and that happened to end the game, but he was scoreless up until then and really pitched very well on that Friday. But Galligan and ERA, 3.45. Selmer is at 7.94. You know, and I think, like you said, they have to set the tone.
1: Yeah, and with some regard, the Turks have been lucky not to have to use their bullpen more. A weekend ago, you got two nine inning performances Saturday and Sunday. This past weekend out in Iowa, you got another nine inning performance from Brian Schaefer. So those guys have done their job, and they've pitched all nine innings and saved this bullpen. But there are going to be games where you need your bullpen to go four or even five-plus innings. And that's when being able to have guys that not only can go multiple innings, but guys that can come in and get
0: critical outs really becomes key. Now, what's interesting to me, and this is kind of funny, so to speak, is when you look at the numbers and the record, it doesn't reflect that the bullpen is all that bad. The Terps, when leading after six innings, had been undefeated going into this series against Iowa. They lost their first game leading after six innings on Saturday when they, when the bullpen gave up the lead, um, the one nothing lead that Taylor Bloom had created. So that was their first time where the bullpen had really given up the game, so to speak. Sure, they've struggled. Liberty almost saw a meltdown from Mike Racino in the ninth. They were able to hang on. And there have been other times where You know the bullpen has come on in mop-up duty, and things have just gotten ugly, like we saw against George Washington in that 19 to 10 loss. But for the most part, when the Terps have won, it's been the bullpen maintaining that lead. So it's kind of hard to figure out, is what I'm trying to say.
1: It is, and you know it's still this maturation process for this team, trying to find a game where they can put their offense and their pitching and their defense all together and just really play that complete game and. That's something that we'll talk about with Kevin Smith when we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast.
0: Hi Terps fans, this is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team, but in order to do so, we need your help. As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games, home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and, as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg, Mac present here, and we're joined now by the Terps' shortstop, Kevin Smith. Kevin, thanks for coming on the program tonight.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: So, just to start things off, not the best outcome for this series in the start of conference play in Iowa. You guys dropped two out of three, but came back strong on Sunday. What was it? What was it like out there starting conference play?
2: Yeah, I mean it was a tough series for us. Definitely, I think I think what one thing we took away from it is, um, you know, the program is definitely going in the right direction. When you only take one out of three, and you know, everyone's kind of upset about the outcome. I, think, I mean, it's nice to nice to have the coaches and the players, and you know, everyone in the program kind of expect say expect great things going into the season. So, um, you know, we're looking good. I mean, we're still young. We're still just trying to figure some stuff out, but I think this is the point in the season where, you know, none of that stuff matters anymore, and we really have to get down to it and start getting some wins and just try to put everything together. Part of that figuring things
1: out was shuffling the lineup in the early part of the season, and you, for the first time, are seeing some some leadoff at bats and now have kind of found your role there. What was that transition like for you?
2: Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, especially from last year, you know, starting at the bottom of the order um, and kind of working their way up, but um, you know, just trying to work with Coach and, and Vaughn and, and trying to figure out, um, you know, because it's a little bit different than the two-hole, a little bit different than the six-seven that I saw a little bit last year. So, um, it's, you know, it's a little bit different talking to Nickens because he led off in the fall and he led off for his team last year. And, um, you know, just trying to get a different perspective on things. But um, other than that, I mean, our approach up in that lineup is pretty similar. So it's not anything too drastic. Um, You know, just trying to get on base and, and let the good guys behind me hit me in. What is the change in approach, and what what have
1: Nickens and others told you?
2: No, I don't think it's really a change of approach as much as it is just your mindset in certain situations. I mean, really, after the first inning, everyone everyone kind of shifts into you know a team at bat, and and really depends on situation by situation and what the game what the game brings. I mean, the only real leadoff position that you're in is the first inning, and from there on. You know, anyone can become the leadoff here. Anyone can become the cleanup guy or the guy that needs a two-out RBI. So, you know, the approach kind of stays the same. I mean, obviously, uh, in a leadoff spot, you're trying to work a little bit, um, see some pitches, try to get the guys behind you, to see some pitches so they're more comfortable when they get up. But, I mean, after that first inning, it's pretty similar to what everyone else is doing.
0: You've got two home runs on the season now. Does it help when you see better pitchers with guys like Nickens, Don, and Sierra hitting behind you?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we get the lineup that we had, especially even last year. Um, you know, it's definitely easier when you see some more pitches. I mean, you know, Dunn's doing, you know, what he does and what we expected him to do when he came in. I mean, Nick is just picking it up now. I think he had a great weekend at the plate. Um, so Sierra's been doing a lot of the whole year. Um, so just to have those guys behind you, it definitely, it definitely helps a lot with, with pitchers. knowing they gotta they got to get you out first before moving on to the next guy, and they can't really take any pitch for granted.
0: But again it's it's been still kind of an up and down season overall the records hovered around 500 for most of the year and the offense at times has been completely dominant putting up you know double digit hits and double digit runs but at times like this weekend it was a little bit more stagnant you know just one run in, in two of the three games and now eight times in the season with just one run what do you think it what do you what do you attribute that to
2: Yeah I mean I think we just have to get more a little more consistent I think you know some games we come out um really confident with a lot of with a lot of confidence and um, you know, a lot of a lot of want to get it done in the first few innings and just keep rolling in other innings and in games, I think we come out a little lackadaisical and, and think that just come to us. So I think that's just just a part of sometimes, you know, our focus getting away from us. Um, you know, like I said, we're we've yet to put it all together. I think we're gonna be a really dangerous team when that comes when that time comes and you know, we're really excited for that. But I think it's just a a mentality of winning every inning and staying staying in it for every pitch, and hopefully, you know, that, with that focus and the Big Ten coming, obviously, and a lot of our guys play their first Big Ten series this weekend to we'll see what that's like. And um, I think, you know, Allen Cal State Fullerton, I think they gave us a lot of confidence as well, knowing what we can do, um, and you know, going into Big Ten play, hopefully, we can start to carry that over and stay confident, and um, you know, start to be consistently the team that we think we should be.
1: I want to transition a little bit to the defensive side of the ball. And naturally, coming in last year, there were a lot of comparisons drawn between you and Blake Schmidt, who played shortstop before you. You know, both of you steady with the glove. I think I would say he was a little more flashy. You're a little more smooth. Have you looked at what he's put out there on the field in the past? Or what have the coaches or other people told you about him? And, you know, what was it like filling in that void at shortstop?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously last year we had a lot of guys who played with played with them and, um, you know, guys like Lau and, and Quashley took took me under my wing and, and made sure that I knew what was expected of us and, you know, gave me a few players. I mean, Jose worked you with know, me a lot last year with a lot of defensive stuff. So, um, as far as, you know, the past shortstops, I mean, I've been working a lot with, with Alfredo, he's came in a few times this this fall and continues to come in before he goes to Pro Bowl and um, you know just learning stuff from them and just you know a little a few things here and there really go a long way. I mean, uh, learning stuff from Lau last year and Cloth and Alfredo it's it's um, you know stuff that if you heard him heard him say it to to me in practice you probably wouldn't think much of it but I mean every little thing counts. So um, I think just the little things and little details that you may not think of or saying something a different way that it gets to you better than the coaches have. I think all that stuff adds up.
0: Well, between Alfredo Rodriguez and Blake Schmidt and you, Maryland's starting to have a penchant to have a strong shortstop up the middle. And I want to go back to something you said kind of at the beginning of our conversation. You mentioned the youth of this team, and I know there are a lot of true freshmen on the team, almost 15, and you're a sophomore. But while you're just a sophomore, you're, you're also somewhat of a leader on this team, and you're definitely the captain of the defense being at that shortstop's position. So, how have you kind of grown up and grown up quickly over this now, you know, season and a half at Maryland?
2: I think something about the defense part of our infield is um, Chef recruits a lot of shortstops. So, I think almost everyone in our infield, even the last two years, could have played shortstop. I mean, Jose was a shortstop. Um, you know, we always spoke around with B Lau about being a shortstop. I mean, Bechtold's a shortstop, Beyond the Kina is a shortstop. Um, AJ is a shortstop, so I think I think some of our success is definitely, you know, goes to Chef and, and recruiting a lot of shortstops and just putting them in positions. I mean, right now we have about five or six shortstops that could play shortstop at a lot of different colleges around the around the country. So, um, you know, I think that's something that makes it a lot easier when you're working with a lot of young guys. I mean, especially last year, you know, just having shortstops all around the diamond um, really puts. Puts a you know pestle on your on your defense and allows everyone to be on the same page and and really just has a lot of good athletes around the diamond that that helps everyone out.
1: You mentioned AJ Lee and he's a guy who got a couple of starts this weekend and you talk about how some of the older guys kind of mentored you a little bit. What have you said to him or any of the other younger guys coming up on this infield?
2: I think it's just some of the terminology that we use. You know, little you know, little things that. That Chef called me last year that Jose talked to me about, that B lab talked about, and just trying to pass it on to them, I mean, I think our infield play for the most part in the last two or three years has been phenomenal. And, um, you know, Chef always points out that defense is one of our points of emphasis for our team. And I don't think there's really anything different that I've said that, that those two haven't said to me. Um, it's really more about just passing down the knowledge and making sure that we're we're just as good as we were in the past years. Do you
0: think that, and obviously we mentioned that the defense is an emphasis for Chef's teams, but do you think that having all these shortstops playing, I guess, out of position, just for argument's sake, has contributed this year to some of the defensive lapses? I mean, you guys have 31 errors on the season now, which is, you know, well above where I'm sure Chef and the, and the rest of you guys would like it to be. So what do you right. do to kind of turn that around as the season goes forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough. I mean... You know, with Bionic playing at first base, um, Bechtel playing at third, you know, those are some positions that people haven't played at. So, I mean, um, in the fall, I mean, we got a lot of work at, at the position that we thought we were going to be in. But I think a lot of the a lot of the errors that have happened this year have just been on tough plays that we've been trying to make. I mean, I know a number of plays where Bechtel that, that has died that, or dove third, sorry, and, you know, comes up and, and overthrows or makes, it, makes a, a, a tough throw over and Bionic tries to scoop it or, you know, done, goes up the middle on a tough play and tries to make a throw. So, um, you know, the errors are kind of hit and miss there when you look at a stat sheet, when you really look down at the game and, and what happened. Um, a lot of them have been just guys trying to make tremendous plays where if they make them, it's a great play, but if they miss them, they get, they get charged with errors. So, um, you know, I don't think we're too worried about that. I mean, obviously, when the errors pile up, I mean, it means something, and it's something that you want to keep down. But um, overall, I think I think we're getting a lot better with our defense. I mean, I think we had one or two airless weekends. Um, our midweek games have been really good defensively. Um, I think we're just yet to put everything together.
1: I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, take you through the lighter side of our podcast now. And Kevin, is there something, a fun fact or a fun hobby that people might not know about you that you'd like to share?
2: You know, this is almost always an icebreaker in classes and stuff. I always have a tough time with this one. Um, the only real fun fact that I have is that my birthday's on July 4th, and that's something no one really knows about me. I mean, as far as hobbies go or weird things that I do pregame and stuff like that, I don't have much of those. I'm kind of a you know, laid-back guy and, and kind of go by status quo, but that's the only real thing that I can think of.
0: Well, this July 4th, I know you're going to be – up in Cape Cod playing with the with the YD Red Sox. I saw the summer teams coming in. So do you, do you know that they're the two-time defending national champions of the Cape Cod League?
2: Yeah, I did. I followed them a little bit this summer when I found out that they were going to be, um, you know, the team that I was going to go to this summer. I'm really, really excited to go up there. Um, the roster was just released a few weeks ago. Uh, so I got a chance to see who I'd be playing with there. So I'm really excited to get up there and, and you know, hopefully win some games.
0: You're the, you're the only one from the Terps that's that's going up there for YD, but there are a couple guys going up for, for Wareham like Nick did last year, and Bloom and Styles are headed to Falmouth, and uh, I guess I, I'll be up there, too. I'm going to be calling games for Chatham, so we'll see each other a couple times
2: throughout the summer. Uh, yeah, no, it should be fun. It should be fun, especially playing those guys. I mean, um, last year I didn't get to play a lot of summer ball because I had a few injuries I had to take care of, but um, it's going to be real fun to kind of be on the other side of the ball with some of these guys, and and be able to go out and, and hang out and get some dinner or something um, on the weekends or off days with them in the summer. I think it's going to be a really good atmosphere for us.
1: All right, you bring up dinner, so I think that's a, a fun topic as well. What's your favorite place to eat at around College Park?
2: favorite place to eat at? I'm going to have to say Marathon Deli. Their they're, um, parmesan chicken sub is, is top-notch, and their fries are all right, too.
0: That's a That's a new one. We haven't heard Marathon yet. We've done this podcast. No, yeah, this is it's
2: definitely, definitely something that that not a lot of guys know. I've, I've introduced a few people around here to it, and um, you know, everyone's had positive things to say after eating their first bite. It's a good family establishment. Yeah, definitely.
0: I've never been there personally.
2: Let yeah, check it out.
0: I'll I'll have to I'll have to go check it out. If Kevin suggests it, it, it must be some it must be <laughs> somewhat
2: decent. Yeah. Right.
0: So looking looking forward a little bit, two games in the midweek against VCU won the makeup from early in February and then kind of a non-conference series that's, you know, smashed in between conference play and high point. What are you what are you guys looking to do this week to, you know, kind of propel yourselves above 500 and also, you know, kind of get rolling on a season that has gotten off to somewhat of a rocky start.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the goal is always to win as many games as you can. I mean, I think, you know, we want to play some clean baseball. Um, I think the games have gotten away from us. It's not really that we've gotten beat; it's that we're beating ourselves a little bit with either errors or, or bad at-bats at some points. Um, you know, but like Chef says, we don't schedule any any teams that aren't good or aren't at our level of competition. I mean, all of our non-conference games are against good quality opponents that are opponents that either will win their win their conference or, or are ranked or are really highly talented programs. So. Um, it's not like we can look into a, into a weekend or into a week and say, all right, you know, we should sweep the week or or, or this this team's going to give us a chance to, to kind of figure some things out and go in lately and come out feeling good about ourselves. I mean, every single opponent that we have has a chance to beat us and has a chance to give us a good game. And I think that's something that the last few years has really helped our teams do well in the postseason is just playing quality opponents the whole, the whole way through the season. So, um, you know, the expectations are still high. I mean, we're not lowering anything that we've set prior to the season just because of the way we started off. And, and all of our team goals are still achievable at this point. So, um, you know, we're going to try to play some clean baseball and, and hopefully give ourselves a chance in every game to win.
1: All right, Kevin, well, best of luck this week, and we really
0: appreciate you taking the time to join us.
2: Awesome, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
0: When we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll break down the week ahead, the games against VCU that we mentioned, and this weekend series against High Point. So stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast.
1: Wondering when our next broadcast is? Check out our broadcast schedule, available at MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, complete with links to each game's broadcast, including which broadcast will be televised on BTN+.
0: Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. That was Kevin Smith, the Terp starting shortstop, and he'll take the stage tomorrow in the leadoff spot where he's been since the series against Rhode Island, that'll be against the VCU Rams. Two games this week against the Rams. One of them scheduled to be on Tuesday. The Wednesday game a makeup from the rainout back in the beginning of February. And this is a Rams team Matt, that has been pretty strong throughout this entire season. They're 16 and seven. They've won their last four, and they've swept a couple of series. Yeah, they're a team that's that's been strong the last several years, Jake. They went to a super
1: regional last year and. You know, looking at their stats now compared to when we started to prepare for them about a month or so ago, it's interesting to see their pitching has gotten better. Their offense has fallen a little bit. I remember we were interested in Logan Ferrar and a dominant player for VCU outfielder. I think he was hitting about three fifty or four hundred a month ago. His dropped. Of course, it was a small sample size. It, it was. Only three it games. was. Uh, but he's dropped his average down to to two fifty three. And meanwhile, they they were really having struggles on the mound in the early part of the season. And now the ERA has come back down a little bit. They have, you know, several starters with ERAs in the threes and fours, which is certainly much more respectable than the fives or sixes that we saw in the early going. So their stats starting to to even out, and certainly a tough midweek opponent. And you know, like Kevin said, everybody on this
0: schedule is a tough opponent. Well, you mentioned they were a regional team last year. They made it there, you know, by playing very well. This is a team that that Maryland plays every single year and last year the two games against VCU were really as close as, as any others. They played, you know, their classic home and away and, you know, VCU took both of them in fact, but they were both by very small margins. In the one in Richmond, the Rams won two to one. In College Park, the Rams won three to one. So both of them close games and we should expect much of the same tomorrow unless, you know, the pitching or, or some offense gets out of hand. Well
1: the Turps got the monkey off the bat last week against Liberty, got their midweek win, and now with two midweek games, it really puts an added priority on the midweek
0: pitching. Well, that's the big question, is who is going to start Tuesday and Wednesday for Maryland. Taylor Styles has gone in the past two midweek contests, and he hasn't fared very well. Against Liberty, they kind of pieced that game together. Taylor Styles went three and two-thirds and, and gave up four runs against the Flames, but then the bullpen locked things down, and they were really solid, you know, through the rest of the game until you know, the implosion in the ninth, so to speak. They hung on to win that one 10-9. But now Styles has struggled twice in that midweek role. And you wonder, does he get another shot, you know, on merit based on the fact that he was a starter last year and struggled at times and maybe needs, you know, to work toward that starting role on more consistency? Or do you go back to those freshman arms that you had at the beginning of the season in John Murphy and Cameron Ank? Yeah, I
1: would, I would even ask a wider question, which is, do you go with the guys who are pitching the best that aren't your... Weekend rotation in terms of Rob Galligan or, or even a guy like Ryan Selmer who started four games last season? Or do you continue to give different freshmen a shot? Obviously, you mentioned Ank, You mentioned uh, John Murphy. What about Andrew Miller? Uh, Zach Guth got a shot. You know, there's, there's also uh, a guy like Hunter Parsons. A lot of different ways that John Sheff could go. I think the biggest question is, does he go based on the st- statistics or does he throw that out the window and say, this is my guy, I want to give him a shot.
0: Well, I think that obviously the goal is to win. Obviously the goal is to have the best performance you can out of whoever you throw out there. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a new arm in the next couple of days, like you said, in in Ryan Selmer or even Hunter Parsons, you know, two right-handers. I I'd think that Selmer would get a shot at that midweek start before a freshman like Parsons or Miller. But honestly, who knows? Parsons is a bit of a harder thrower. Miller is obviously a lefty like Styles I I don't think that this that this team plays with the matchup so to speak until you know later in the game I don't think they look at that out of their stars they just look for consistency and you know giving the team a chance to win and Ryan summer he did that in a couple of his starts last season and I was honestly a bit surprised that he didn't have it that he had, hasn't had a shot sooner so if I had to put my money on it it would be summer who gets a shot either Tuesday or Wednesday yeah I wouldn't be surprised either especially since it was clear in the beginning of the season that
1: He was going to assume the closer's role, but then the last couple weeks, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Uh, John Schaff has turned to Mike Racino late in games. He's turned to Taylor Styles. He doesn't seem set on one guy, which I think opens the door more for a guy like Ryan
0: Summer or Rob Gallagher to get a midweek start. Well, it's definitely been a closer by committee, you know, and they've definitely played with the matchups down the stretch going righty lefty with with Gallagher and Racino and Miller and Guth and Parsons. But keep in mind that there haven't been so many. You know, save situations. Just, you know, six saves on the season for the Terps in their, you know, 11 wins. And while that actually is more than I thought it was initially, they haven't really been as save situation-y, so to speak, as as I thought they were, I guess. You know, it seems like the games that they had been playing in those save situations were really dominated by the starting pitchers. And then the, clo- the, the, uh, the bullpen just came in to finish the job. But to your point, six saves by four different guys. Right, exactly, exactly. Rob Gallagher with one, Taylor Styles with one, and then Ryan Selmer had the three early on through was eight games. He had three saves.
1: Well, whoever it is, we talked about the need to put a complete game together, and hopefully this is the time. A couple games this week against VCU, like you mentioned, one on Wednesday down in Richmond, the makeup game from a month ago. And, you know, to your point earlier, it's almost a mini-series in the middle of the week, a tough non-conference opponent before another non tough non-conference opponent this weekend in high point who comes in with an 18-6 and record.
0: Exactly. In high point, they feature, you know, a strong team. Another strong non-conference team, like you said, for these Terps. They faced Cal State Fullerton, which is was ranked when they played them. They went down to the Keith LeClaire Classic, played an SEC team in Tennessee, and a ranked team in ECU. They faced off with Rhode Island, an 8-10 team that was stronger than expected, Bryant was a team that was also stronger than expected. This non conference slate for Maryland has been, to say it again, stronger than expected. And that's paid dividends. It means that, you know, some of the games they've dropped along the way don't mean as much. The midweek also has been a little bit stronger than expected. Liberty is a program that, while yes, is not necessarily on the same level as the Power Five, still, you know, is a formidable, you know, consistent opponent for the Turps, as is VCU. With High Point, you know, they feature Andre Scrub. Who is their go to guy. He's their Mike Shawarrange, so to speak. He had ten strikeouts in his last start over seven innings. Helped High Point to a four two victory against Winthrop. And now they're undefeated in conference play. They're looking they're they're on a winning streak right now. And the Turps first off need to focus on VCU. Get through VCU and use wins against the Rams to build towards the weekend.
1: I think something really interesting about High Point though is they're a North Carolina team that's played a lot of North Carolina teams so far this season. In fact, Maryland is their first road game outside their home state. So I think, you know, not that not to say that the Terps can't get it done or that you know a High Point is, is too good or whatever. All of the everything on the field aside, I think it's interesting that this is
0: their first real travel of the season. Well, that could that could certainly play a factor, and you know, it's, it's something interesting with the, with the Fullerton team. I mean, out in California, there are so many good baseball teams that, in fact, Fullerton doesn't travel outside the state of California for the rest of their season. You know, they just kind of go south to UCLA, Cal Poly's in there, UC Irvine as well. To be fair, the distance, though, between North Carolina and Maryland, about half the distance between
1: North and South California.
0: Right, that's fair. You know what, You're, that's, that's a valid point. But yeah, certainly an interesting observation about this high point team.
1: Well, it will be interesting to see, and we'll see if the pitching can continue to do what it's done the last couple weekends, especially Brian Schaefer. Back-to-back nine-inning performances, and he has really come on strong. If you're interested for more on Brian Schaefer, check out our own Ben Harris on Maryland Baseball Network. He's put together some great insight and some great statistics on what Brian Schaefer has done the last three starts compared to the first three and just
0: how he has come on strong after a little bit of a slow start to the season. Well, Brian Shaver, along with the rest of the Melbourne pitchers, are going to face a strong lineup in, in High Point this weekend. After they, you know, get past the Rams, Dominic Fazio, Drew Fopiano, both guys were batting over 350. This is not a team that hits a lot of home runs; just, you know, five for them on the season. In fact, that's in all of Madison Nickens' home runs just by himself. But they are a team that scores a lot of runs, 150 runs through their 24 games now. That's more than the Terps can say, at least. And they get on base. A 391 on-base
1: percentage to go along with a 300-plus 300 average, 301. Uh, so I mean, they're they're a team that's going to be on base, and it, it's going to be a, a tough task in terms
0: of pitching out of jams and and leaving runners stranded. Absolutely, and then of course you got you know their main guys on the mound: Andre Scrub, Andrew Gottfried, Joe Goodman, Michael Hennessy, all guys who are going to make their starts for High Point. Scott Hoffman as well, and you know the Terps will have to. It seems play a bit of a slugfest this weekend. Well, we will see what that brings us. But first, it's VCU tomorrow. A
1: four p.m. start from Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. Jake Eisenberg will be on the call for Maryland Baseball Network pregame show. Starts at three forty p.m. So tune in then. This has been the Maryland Baseball Podcast on the Maryland Baseball Network.